that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading today is 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 14. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But at that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off your enemies from before you, and and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are filled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body and I will establish this kingdom he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to, to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. There is one tiny little Hebrew word that is tangled up in the middle of this sort of confusing passage. The word is bet. The closest word we have in English is house, but we tend to forget in English how many different meanings there are, how many different uses there are for the word house. It can be a verb, it can be a noun, and as a noun, it can have several different uses. I live in a house. Many of you live in houses. House can mean the building you live in. That is sort of the base meaning of the word house. But we are also gathered in a house this morning, a house of worship. A house can be a place that you worship as well. Also, I am from the house of Clark, a family line. House can mean the line of people you come from. If I were more pretentious, I would call it a dynasty, but that's a bit much even for me. David and God are talking about houses in today's passage, but they're talking about different types of houses, and it causes some confusion because the type of house that David is talking about is not the type of house that God is talking about. In today's passage, after much drama and fighting, David has finally settled in as the established king of Israel. So he's looking for something to do. There have been many things happening for quite some time, and now he finds himself with some free time, and he's trying to fill it. He's feeling secure in his power. He's built himself a lovely palace, a big fancy house, and now he's thinking it's time to build something for God. It's like the football player who thanks God after the touchdown, as if the player's earthly success is what God is concerned about. So David asked the prophet Nathan what he thinks about it, and Nathan says it sounds like a good idea, because it basically always sounds like a good idea to build a beautiful new place to worship if you have the means to do so, building something for God. Just like today, in David's time, it was easy to get people excited about building a lovely new church building when there was money to spare. But God didn't ask David to do this. He's just doing it because it's what it seemed like the thing to do. David was just caught up in the latest church planting fad. Later that night, after Nathan had given David this stamp of approval on the temple idea, God came to Nathan and said, Wait a minute! I didn't tell you guys I wanted this. I didn't tell you this was part of the plan. I've been dwelling in a tent for all this time, and suddenly you're worried about building me something? You're supposed to follow my lead on this sort of thing. It wasn't David's decision to choose where God would be worshipped. David didn't have the power to tell God where to live. God's concern was so much greater than where David lived or worshipped. So David says, I'm in a pretty great house, a palace, so I should build God a house, a temple. But God says, no, this is about building a house, a dynasty, a legacy. It's about the future of God's people, not about the buildings in which they live or worship. 
Today's lectionary, Psalm, um, Psalm 89, 20 through 37, talks about God's establishment of David's lineage. It says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemies shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. Nowhere in God's promises to David... Does it say that he will have a beautiful home or a fabulous temple? God's choice to be homeless is a little bit surprising, but it's because God isn't interested in a house to live in. God isn't interested in the sort of house of worship David worships in. God is interested in a legacy, a legacy that leads to Jesus. When we move into the New Testament, the gospel writer Matthew starts off by following the family line that God established with David all the way through to Jesus. That's what God is talking about. Now, we have been talking lately in session meetings about the purpose and the mission of the church. These are conversations we've had together with St. Andrews and individually as separate sessions. We've been talking about why are we here? What are we doing? And this is really important as we continue to explore creative and collaborative ministry with St. Andrews and with other churches in our area. If we don't have a strong sense of why we are here as a congregation and what we are doing here together as a congregation, we're just kind of wandering around trying to figure out what sort of temple to build for God. When God is trying to tell us, that's not the sort of house I'm talking about. We want to build God a big house because big houses are what the world tells us are important. But that distracts us from what we're really supposed to be doing. God wants the church to establish a legacy through the work of Christ in the world, not a particular building or name. If we want to assess what sort of house we are building, we need to ask ourselves, whose needs are being met? Who are we serving? Are we just serving ourselves, or are we serving the community and others? 
Are the things we're doing benefiting others first or us first? If we have more fundraisers than service projects, our priorities are skewed. If we spend more on church administration than on local and world mission, we have our list upside down. Are we building this house to serve the world or to impress the world? It's already late July, and before we know it, we will be in nominations and budget season again. I'm sorry, dear elders, to break it to you, but it's coming. And while nominations matter, it is important to make sure that we have good Christ-like leadership in the church. The budget can actually say an awful lot more about a church's priorities and future. The church budget is a theological document. You can tell a great deal about a community from the way they're spending their money. Many churches have cut mission spending in order to try and hang on to something from the past. An attempt to keep the fancy house built for God and to keep it as full as we can. That is not what God asks of us. If we aren't giving to worship and for mission, we have no business being here. If we are only raising money so that we can stick around to raise more money next year and maintain our current standards, we have effectively say, said we are no longer worried about God's mission. We only care about this house. If it's just about keeping the lights on and the pulpit filled so the name of this congregation is not replaced with another on the sign out front, let's start packing up. If that's our game plan, we have no hope. At that point, we're just eating up resources that could better serve God elsewhere. Rest is found in sharing God's peace and shelter with others, offering others rest and security. One way we are thinking of reaching out to do that soon is through the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance trip to Texas to help with the rebuilding after the floods. Another is that we will be hosting a Presbyterian peacemaker, a missionary from Greece, this October. I've emailed with him a couple of times, and he seems like a very delightful person that we get to spend almost an entire week with this fall. He will be here to talk to us about how he's reaching out to the poor and to refugees in his home country and how we can uh, be champions for those who are afflicted here as well. We'll have the opportunity to worship with him on a Sunday morning. He will be here to lead our Bible study one Wednesday evening. And we also get to share him with the larger community, hosting a community event, an event at the seminary, and one for local clergy. These are all ways that we can begin to build a house that will last, a legacy, a house based on Christ and Christ's mission in the world. Because mission and service are vital to the health of the church and to any given congregation. If we rely on a particular building or a particular congregational name or a certain denomination for our peace, we will never find real peace in this lifetime. But throughout scripture, we are promised a real and lasting peace, a peace that is found in Christ and in nothing else. God will build up those who are there to build up others rather than themselves. This whole building could fall down tomorrow and the church would still be just fine because Jesus is transforming us 
into a place of worship. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 says, Therefore remember that at one time you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Christ, who brings us peace, we, people, are built together to be God's dwelling place. People are the dwelling place of God. God dwells where we dwell together. In compassion and friendship. Amen.